Heavenly Father, we come before you on your Sabbath day. We thank you so much for the gift that you give us the Sabbath and every Sabbath and all of your Sabbaths, Father. They are a blessing to us, and we pray that this is an edifying experience for the body, that it build, it build each other up and edify and, and build you up, Father, and worship and praise you, Father. We thank you so much for the blessings you give us, the ones we take for granted every day. We thank you so much for the visitors we have, those online. We pray that you give a special blessing to them. And we just thank you for all things in Yahshua's name. Hallelujah. So those online might have noticed a few little hiccups here and there. Um, as per usual, anytime we tweak one thing, ten things mess up. So just bear with us. Um, I decided I was going to give this message. Um, working for the ministry, I hear... I hear a lot of people, and, not, and I, when I say this, I don't want people to take it the wrong way. I hear people leaning on the Messiah in a way that I do not believe is scriptural. I do not believe it is right. And um, I don't think, I believe that they're putting actions and words in his mouth that, and they react to his sacrifice in a way that I believe was warned about in scripture. When you think about the Messiah... What comes to mind? What comes to mind? Love, grace, mercy, sacrifice. These are all correct. Don't get me wrong. I don't want you to not think of those things when you think of Messiah. And I don't want to take those things away from him. However, there are traits that mankind has applied to the Messiah for over the centuries that are simply out of character and absent from Scripture. The Messiah's mission on earth was to magnify and emphasize the word of the Father. Not to speak his own word, he said so himself. Rather to be a mouthpiece for the Father. Just like he was in the Old Testament when we hear you know, all these things going on. You know, we believe that it was the Messiah, the pre-existent Messiah that was the mouthpiece of the Father. That never changed. That role never changed when he came physically. He was an empty vessel for the spirit of Yahweh, if you will. And Jude, I got to tell you, over the years, I think Jude has become my single favorite piece of Scripture. It is so short, but it is so sweet. Jude shows us, even back in his day, they were trying to use the Messiah as an excuse to live a sinful life. Jude 1.4 Dear friends, although I was very eager to write about you, about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once entrusted to all of Elohim's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are wicked people who pervert the grace of our Elohim into license for immorality and deny Yeshua Messiah, our only sovereign and master. They're contending for the faith even back then. Jude did not exist much longer after the Messiah had ascended. This is, I mean, we're talking less than 100 years. And they were contending for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. I thought this was written during the time of the saints. Here we have man already. So quickly, mankind forgets 
It reminds me of Israel in the desert all over again. Here you had Yahweh performing all these wonderful miracles. And I mean, it was just like that. They turned their back on him. Here we have the Messiah. He had no more than his feet, had no more than left the ground. And they're already using his sacrifice as an excuse to live a wicked life. Yeshua's success in this was critical. If he failed in his mission, we would never have access to the Father the way we do now. Yeshua lived a perfect life, and he showed us the way and how to walk in it. The folks in Jude's day, even now, have spent the last 2,000 years trying to convince us that Yeshua is our excuse rather than our example. Whoops. Missed the slide. Ignore that. Okay, 1 John 2, 3 through 6 states, Now by this that we know him, if we keep his commandments... He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keeps his word, truly the love of Elohim is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also walk just as he walked. Walk as he walked. What does that mean? What is John saying here? To put it simply, Yahshua himself gives the answer. In Matthew 5, 38 through 48, we read, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whosoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, give him your cloak also. Whosoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, and do not turn away. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the, on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, when people reach out to us, they say things, they say stuff like, uh, well, the, the, the commandment Yeshua gave was love your neighbor as yourself and do unto others. And that's true. He did say that. He did say that, but what they've, they've ignored large parts of what he said. We know obvious things like love your neighbor as yourself and do unto others, but those things tend to come easy. Just as the Messiah said to love those who love you, and that is important, we have to do our best to behave as our Father in heaven behaves. He's benevolent to everyone, and he reigns on the just and the unjust. He is no respecter of persons, and we are to be that same way. He says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. We're to emulate the Messiah, and in doing so, we're emulating the Father. That's not to say Yahweh rewards the wicked. Don't misunderstand. But he shows mercy to anyone who seeks it. And we can prove this by turning over to Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that Elohim shows no partiality, but in Every nation who fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. 
Any nation who fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. This is the key. We cannot turn away someone because of a life they used to live. If someone comes to us and is humbly and sincerely seeking truth and repentance, we don't get to be picky. That's not our job, and we don't have that authority. Yahweh chooses on whom he will have mercy, not us. Romans chapter 9, verse 18. Therefore Elohim has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. The next key is works righteousness. Back in uh, Acts 10.34, it says, Any nation who fears him and works righteousness. We do not believe that we're saved by our works. Let's just get that out of the way right off the bat. I mean, nine times out of ten, if you say we keep the Sabbath, observe the feast days, people are like, oh, well, you think you're saved by your works. No, wrong. That is not what we believe here. I just want to get that just clean slate right off the bat. We do, however, believe that works play an important role in developing our faith and living a righteous life as commanded in Scripture. Righteousness is what sets us apart from the nations around us. It's the lens by which the world sees us. And it's how Yahweh knows who's serious. After all, we're all striving for a position in the kingdom, right? Yahweh's made it clear that those who are faithful in much will be given much. So why would you want to just scrape by, by the skin of your teeth, and just hope for just a minimum position in the kingdom? Yahweh knows the heart, and I believe that if he sees his people just, just barely getting by, we're talking scraping the bottom of the barrel just enough to get through, he will know that's what you were trying to do. Just do good enough. And that won't be good enough. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 28. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who, was, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to each one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, and to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two regained two more also. But he who received one went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents, and look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, and I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Master, you delivered to me two talents, and look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his master answered him and said, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. So, 
you've got this situation where you've got these people who, they've, one received the five and doubled it to ten, one received two and doubled it to four, and then you have the one. This, this is the person I want to focus on. The one who did just what he thought was just enough. Look, I didn't lose it, okay? You gave me one, I kept it, and I, I did at least that. You didn't lose anything with me. You're breaking even, right? And that's the attitude a lot of people have with salvation. He just said this is the kingdom of heaven he's talking about here. This is the kingdom of heaven he's talking about. We're expected to go out and make more of what he gives us. What he does not want is someone who takes his blessings for granted. Contrary to what is taught in most churches, Yahshua is not looking for people who want to ride into the kingdom on his coattails. That's not what he's looking for. He doesn't want somebody to say, look, you gave me this gift of salvation, and look, you got me. I'm the one talent. You're welcome. He doesn't want that. He's looking for faithful, dedicated servants who will do the work of the kingdom. This includes living a righteous life. After all, how can you remove the moat from your brother's eye when you still have the plank hanging out of yours, right? Matthew 7, verses 2 through 5. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why don't you look at the speck? Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye? And look, the plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We cannot ask others to dedicate their lives to Yahweh and live a righteous life if we ourselves are not striving for that same end. Messiah states in verse 5, First, remove the plank from your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. A lot of people take this verse to say, You don't judge me, I won't judge you. That is not what this verse is saying. This verse is saying, get your act together, then you can help other people get their act together. This is a very misconstrued um, verse here. People use this all the time to, to warrant lack of judgment on their part. You can't judge me, I can't judge you, let's just leave each other alone. That's not what he's saying. We, it's implying that it is possible to remove that plank from your own eye and thus qualifying you to help remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is often, again, misconstrued. You can't judge me. But there's resolution given here, and it's ignored. In order to lead people to righteousness, we ourselves must be righteous. It's as plain and simple as that. Judgment is a dirty word these days. It really is. Even more so now. I mean, if you even so much as raise an eyebrow to somebody who says something just ludicrous... I mean, they'll string you up. This is exactly what we're going to be doing in the kingdom. A lot of people seem, they, they take the sayings of Messiah, which are directed at getting to the kingdom and being in the kingdom. This is, the kingdom is like this, the kingdom is like this, but they apply it to this earth and not the kingdom. Judging each other and judging is exactly what we're going to be doing in the kingdom. We've established Yeshua as our example. Let's take a quick look at some of the excuses people try to credit to the Messiah. And, you know, working at the ministry full-time, and I feel like I say that a lot when I speak, (laughs) working in the ministry full-time, but it is so in your face all the time, 24-7, people constantly. Every day is a new day with with, with people. They'll say, 
I don't keep the Sabbath. He is my rest. He did it all so I don't have to. If you continue in your legalism, you're denying the finished work of G.O.D. Your works are proof that the sacrifice of J.C. was not enough for you. That's been fulfilled. Why are you clinging to your old ways? And you can't judge me with that old law. All of these I've heard directed directly to me working here. He did do it all. And Messiah is our rest. We take comfort in him for the insurmountable things that he did on our behalf. But he did not do away with the Sabbath day. This is found nowhere in scripture. The Sabbath is going to be kept in the coming kingdom and to eternity. Isaiah 66, 23. Whoops. Yeah, that missed that slide too. Isaiah 66, 23. It shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says Yahweh. So are we denying the rest of Yahshua when we're keeping it in the kingdom? Obviously not. And like I said, he did do it all, but we... But not so we can live a life of carefree sin. He lived a perfect life, so there was a crystal clear example for us to follow. Yeshua left no gray area. Romans 3.31, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. And what they call legalism, we call the love of Elohim. 1 John 5.3, For this is the love of Elohim, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. What they call the denial of the finished work, we call an opportunity to live as he lived. All for the glory of the Father. Yes, we are going to fall short. But that's what we have the grace given by Messiah's sacrifice. We have that to bring us back to the narrow path. And yes, he did fulfill the law, but he did not do away with them. And what they call judgment, we call a delight. There it is. There it is. (laughs) Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of Yahweh, and his law In his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. But the wicked are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked shall not stand in judgment, nor, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. The path we're called to walk is narrow. Yahweh's law is the light that illuminates that path so that we do not stumble. The Messiah is the guiding hand that brings us back onto the path when we do fall off. It does happen. There are parts of what the world teaches that is correct. The Messiah does bring us back onto that path. But the law keeps us from falling off to begin with. And if you you do away with one or the other, you've got trouble. Messiah walked perfectly so that we can follow in those footsteps. He didn't pick us up and piggyback us. He led the way for us. Psalm 119. 
when I say Psalm 119, and then I have a slide this short. It seems a little unusual, but I only need just a little bit. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous commandments. Righteous judgments, excuse me. When we are baptized into the name of Yahshua, we are swearing our lives over to the Father. We're signing on the dotted line that we are going to keep these precepts, that we will do our very best to walk just as his son did, so that we too can be called sons and daughters of the Most High. Another common thing I hear is that Yahweh in the Old Testament was just vindictive and angry and quick to just smite people. Well, why is he that way? You got to ask yourself that. Anytime Yahweh came across as like, ooh, he was so vindictive. Why he, he, he acted so harshly. Why did he do so? In every instance, why did he do so? It was Israel's never-ending disobedience. So ask yourself, what changed between the Old Testament and the New Testament? What's the one thing that changed? Yahshua. That's it. Nothing else changed. Beyond that, Yahweh is exactly the same mighty one he was back when he smote Israel in the desert. He's the exact same mighty one. The standards Yahweh set for us and for Israel back then never changed. From the very beginning, they never changed, and they will stand forever. A perfect being like Yahweh who can bear no sin and cannot even look upon it would never lower the standards he set. In doing so, he himself would lower lower himself to our level. Why would he ever lower himself to our level when the entire point is for us to be lifted up to him? To be closer to him. Why does Yahweh say return to me. Not I'll come to you. Why command us to be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. If he can just eliminate the entire barrier. Keeping us away from him to begin with. The whole idea is self-defeating. Imagine Yahweh's kingdom. As a skyscraper. And by all accounts we see in scripture. It's going to be a skyscraper. It meets that description. So imagine the kingdom is a skyscraper, a big one, really nice, like hotel type of thing. And in the lobby, there's a line of people stretching out the door as far as you can see. And they're all waiting in line. And the wall, the wall they're all just waiting. There's like a blank wall. There's nothing on it. They're all just waiting in front of this blank wall. And you ask them what they're waiting on. And they say, we're waiting on the elevator. And you look around, there's no elevator. All you see is the stairs. So you don't want to get in line waiting on an elevator that you don't see. So forget it. I'm just going to take the stairs, right? You head inside the stairwell and you look up. You can't see the top. It seems like an impossible task, but what choice do you have? There's no elevator, so I'm going to take the stairs. Things are going pretty well. You know, you climb for what seems like an eternity, step after step, methodically keeping your breath and balance, and then all of a sudden, the stairs just stop. You can see the next flight, but the rails, the stairs, everything's gone. It's just a gap. You have no way of getting to the next flight of stairs, and thus no way of reaching your goal at the top. So what do you do? The stairs here are Yahweh's law without the Messiah. A long, arduous path where if you misstep, the stairs go away. There's no way of reaching your goal, 
So how do you reach the top? What can you do? Well, there's nothing you can do on your own. If we were left to figure this out on our own, we'd never reach the top. We're reliant on someone else. In this case, that's the Messiah. Being the carpenter he was, he can build out those missing stairs and give you a path forward. However, when he builds those stairs out for you, he doesn't pick you up and carry you to the top. You still have to climb the stairs. He will walk with you. He will build out the missing stairs along the way and bridge that gap for you. But you still have to climb the stairs. In this scenario, the Messiah literally fills in the gap that would otherwise keep us from the kingdom. So you might ask yourself, well, why on earth were all those people waiting for the elevator in the lobby? (laughs) There isn't an elevator. There never has been, and there never will be. There's no easy way into Yahweh's kingdom. There's no VIP pass that's going to get you a quick ride to the top. We all have to take the stairs. We all have to go through life's difficulties. We have to take the stairs to Yahweh's kingdom. We'll be out of breath. We'll be worn out and tired. But with the Messiah, there's always a path to the top. We'll never be alone in that walk. You never have to worry about the stairs going out on you. They're always there. The Messiah walked those stairs all the way to the top. He did so perfectly. It wasn't easy, but he did it anyway. He did it to prove that it could be done. There are people who refuse to take the stairs because they heard that there was a man who once took the stairs, and because of that, they shouldn't have to. They've been told to wait for an elevator that doesn't exist. We've all fallen short of the glory of Yahweh. But we're blessed beyond measure to have a Messiah that is willing and able to blaze a trail forward to an otherwise unattainable goal. Life is rarely, rarely easy. And to reach the kingdom, we have to walk as Messiah walked. There is absolutely no way around it. There are exceptions to the rule. The thief on the stake next to the Messiah. From all accounts, he was on the stake because he was a thief. But we cannot live our life hoping to be the exception. We have to live our life by the rule. He was a perfect example for us to emulate. Perfect examples are hard to come by in this life. Let's not take that blessing for granted and wait for an elevator that doesn't exist. There's a lot of people you will meet that are in the lobby, so to speak. And they're just sitting there. They're not moving forward. They are the, they're the people who have they've been given the information. They know there's a Messiah. They've been given that talent, that ticket into the kingdom, and they are actively burying it. Yahweh has no use for people who are not willing to go out and double his return. Even trying. He didn't even try. The lazy servant didn't even try. He was just like, man, if I mess this up, he didn't, he didn't have faith in what he was doing. He buried the talent and he let it go to waste. And I guess the moral of the story is don't get caught in the lobby because there's, you got to take the stairs. You have to take the stairs. The Messiah was perfect. We're commanded to follow him. Let's not take that for granted. May Yahweh bless you.